The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain. I'm retired from medical practice, and I'm now an activist for family caregiving which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, today we're going to talk about the Autism Acceptance Project. But first, I'm going to begin by saying that medical perceptions of autism aren't exactly encouraging. You see, physicians see autism as an incurable condition in which the nervous system of a child fails to develop normally and which always results in some form of disability. Uh, it creates, this is how the physicians see it, major challenges for the children, their families, and family caregivers. But as I'm learning from Family Caregivers Unite, there's an encouraging side to the story, too. And, for example, in episode 21, um, Roxanne Davis was my guest. She's the mother of Mason. He's 11 and has profound autism, which was diagnosed at the age of three. Mason received his service dog, that's a a dog guide, Dublin, in January 2010. She told me that, (coughs) excuse me, Dublin goes, excuse me, to (coughs) school with Mason where they are in grade five together, which makes me think that in autism, and this is a difficult thing for me to say, there are times when dogs are more useful than doctors. Now, to learn more about things that are useful and hopeful in autism, our two guests today are Este Clark and Dr. Christina Chu. First, Este. Este is the founder and executive director of the Autism Acceptance Project. She's the mother of a young autistic son named Adam. She's a writer and a curator of art by profession. She's a graduate student of critical disability students at at York University. She found that art is the most interesting way for her to present some of the more pressing and thought-provoking issues of autism. The issues that she's interested and active in are human rights, inclusion, art, and writing. She lectures on these issues at universities and organizations throughout North America, She began a public speaking career when she noticed that autistic people were not being included in schools, places of employment, and most community programs. She recognized the need to change some all-too-common perspectives on autism. She spent time traveling across North America to meet autistic self-advocates and their families. And she began the Autism 
acceptance project to support autistic individuals in advocating for themselves and for her to stand alongside them so that they receive the accommodations they need in order to contribute to society as they actually are. Dr. Christina Chu. Christina is an associate professor of classics at St. Peter's College in Jersey City, New Jersey. She is currently translating poetry by the Roman poets Virgil and Catullus. She writes in her blog about life with her 13-year-old son, Charlie, who's on the moderate to severe end of the autism spectrum. In her blog, which she calls We Go With Him, she describes a particular problem for him, low muscle strength, which seems to account for his problems with actions and exertions. Then she noticed that family exercises like fast walking and biking benefited him. The more his physical abilities increased, she realized, the clearer was his speech. Now, she writes, he sprints or pedals at super fast speeds simply because he's having had to struggle with things like talking and moving, he's amazed and pleased that he can. Christina has published various articles about autism, disability studies and literature, and she's made numerous presentations about autism advocacy, and she teaches students who are on the autism spectrum, and she contributes to literature about autism. Now, there's more information about the work of Estée and Christina on the episode description on this show's website. So, welcome to the show, Estée and Christina. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. Now, my first question is for Estée. Please tell us about the uh, mission of the Autism Acceptance Project. Sure. Um, The underlying mission is what kinds of help do, or the questions that we want to answer is... What kinds of help do autistic people need to contribute to society as autistic people, which you alluded to in your introduction? And we we do it by doing projects that uh, seek to have autistic people speaking for themselves. And we're looking at attitudes, as you mentioned, um, issues uh, regarding inclusion and how to get there. And also we're very, um, we seem to be adept at engaging the media in, in 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 a reverse kind of awareness as opposed to some of the hyped fascination um, that, that has led to some negative stereotypes regarding autism. Christina, um, are you involved with the Autism Acceptance Project? And if so, how did you come to be involved? Well, you know, I've, I've been a member of the of TAP since its inception, and I, I really um, got involved through the Internet. Um, when I, I started writing a blog about my son in 205, um, and Estée was actually, um, I, I met her because she had a blog, too, <laughs> called The Joy of Autism. And one of the really great things about Estée's blog, which made it really different from a lot of blogs by other parents, was her positive attitude and um, her, you know, her very strong belief, which came through in her writing, that life with autism is not a tragedy, that there's a lot of um, amazing things, um, unique things about individuals on the autism spectrum, and I, I really noticed in her writing how she highlighted those things. Um, her, I was, her background in art, of course, I thought made her, um, when she wrote about her son Adam, she'd write about, um, I noticed her writing about his responses to color, to art. Mm-hmm. And, again, just her really hopeful attitude, which, I, I, again, was something that I hadn't seen so much in other parents. So I was very excited when Estée started her project, and, you know, I've been following it ever since. 
And, um, you know, I, I unfortunately I'm not able, to, I, I haven't been able to travel um, to Toronto where I know she curated an exhibit um, of the, um, I think it was the paintings of um, a young autistic artist. Um, but I'm hopeful that, you know, she'll do another um, exhibit or some such again and maybe have some kind of online presence. Right. Let's say, um, the Autism Acceptance Project has a website. Um, that's your work. Mm-hmm. Who's the website speaking to? Tell us about the users and where they're from and the kind of feedback you get. Well, um, I'm looking forward to discussing sort of why the Autism Acceptance Project came about, but in terms of the website, it actually came online to promote a couple of events that um, I had curated and a, a lecture series that was happening here in Toronto uh, that I put together. Um, and that's how the, the website started. And it started to attract a lot of attention, and then we, we changed it a little bit. We had a forum for parents to, uh, to speak. Um, we started to display some of the artwork, uh, some of the writings by autistic people, and posted some videos there. And it, it, it seems to be getting quite a bit of attention. We have about, about I haven't looked recently, the last I looked, and, and you have to bear in mind the website hasn't really been updated in the last couple of years for personal reasons. We're, we're about to change it. So about 8,000 users. Our forums have about 6,000 users. So the last I looked, we're about 15,000 registered users without trying very hard. Um, that doesn't include the visitors that come to the site. So And they're coming from all over the world. We have people from India, largely our audiences from the U- United States, but uh, we're finding that, that, that we get people from Israel, Africa. It's, it's really interesting who, who signs on and, and who delivers us feedback regarding, this, regarding the website. And uh, the one other interesting thing that, that I'm finding fascinating is that the presence of the site seems to be exceptionally important. And, you know, as I was considering it in the last two years, um, I, I've been going through a divorce and, and dealing with that, and, and I didn't get divorced because of autism, if anybody questions that. But, uh, uh, you know, I had to wonder, like, what, what's the next step for this project? And as the feedback kept coming in and, and thanking us for having this website presence, I recognized that acceptance was, and, and the, it, within that website, was a really important thing for people to hang on to. And then I considered that this is alleviating stress. The mere presence of having something called the Autism Acceptance Project is alleviating or seems to be alleviating a lot of stress for families. And then I thought about some of the other sites and, and may, uh, that we might want to archive, and they're still online, like neurodiversity.com, Autism Diva, Christina's site, um, the Autism Hub. And I was thinking how important it is, too, to archive these sites for the history of autism acceptance. Now, we're going to have an opportunity to talk more about that kind of development. Um, We're going to run into a break shortly, but I have a question for Christina. Um, Please tell us about your own experience with family caregiving and autism. Now, I think you'll only get just get started on this because I may have to interrupt you, but away you go. Talk about your own experience, please. Well, our experience has been that my husband, um, James Fisher, and I are my son's primary and pretty much are his only caregivers at this point. And um, that's a bit of an unfortunate situation, but it's uh, a reality. When my son was younger, um, he's 13 years old now, we were able to hire a lot of babysitters and we had a lot of therapists. And my parents, 
who actually live in California, I live in New Jersey, frequently um, came out to visit us and often stayed with Charlie even overnight. Um, as my son has gotten older, um, I would say from around the time that he was eight or nine, it's just become much more difficult for other people to take care of him, partially because he is a very active child. He's big. He's about five foot eight now, and um, he's, always, he's always been tall, and he's quite strong. And it's become more difficult for us to find caretakers for him. I know that there are people out there, but I think that my husband and I have we've had some hesitance. Um, some of them are safety issues. Um, you know, when you have an adolescent child who has, is maturing <laughs> as an adolescent, one has to be pretty careful, I think, about who you have watching him or her. Right. And that's been a huge concern for us. Uh, my son at this age, he really needs to be probably watched by a male caregiver. And um, he, he had a very difficult history for about the past two years, seems to be ending, where he had a lot of um, sometimes very difficult behavior. Now, I'm going to break in there because mm -hmm. we're going to come back to this, okay. Christina, but it is the time for the break. No problem. Um, this is where we pay the rent. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Estee Clark and Dr. Christina Chu. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Spin It with Chuck Foreman has a spin on so much that's going on, it will be hard to fit it all into the promo. We'll talk about the weekend games, what to look forward to, hot topics in the news, Spin It Old School, which gives a back-in-the-day approach from Chuck, a no-spin zone where Chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same. Chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news, happenings, and more. It's football, news, and happenings. Tune in for Spin It with Chuck Foreman. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners, Family Caregivers Unite, and our two guests, Estee Clara and Dr. Christina Chu. Our topic is the Autism Acceptance Project. Now, let's talk about family caregivers and family members who have autism. Christina, I wanted to start to ask you to tell us more about your impression of, or your impressions of, family caregivers and family caregiving generally in relation to autism. Now, obviously, your own experience is central to this, but I'm also interested in hearing from you through, for example, your blog about things that people say to you about their experiences. Christina? I think that from speaking to other parents and also from communicating with other parents via my blog, and this does include parents who are primarily from the U.S., but many more um, from Europe and around the world, is that taking care of a child on the autism spectrum is a lot like taking care of any child. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, the, the challenges of parenting are in many ways the same, but in many ways there are some extra challenges. And um, I think that I, I think that most of my friends, um, they feel that, um, let me back up, um, my own situation is a little bit different because my son is an only child, and um, I think that my, I seem to get the impression from families who have more than one child that sometimes they've had to make decisions based on what's best for the whole family as far as their caretaking needs. Um, an issue that, for instance, has um, come up for us, um, unfortunately, in the past couple of years um, has been the issue of can Charlie actually live with us because of some of his behavior issues. And my husband and I feel very strongly that he should live with us as long as he can. Of course, he won't always. But he is an only child, and we've been able to devote a lot of resources to him. But I have met other families who have a child like Charlie, who is more severe, I think, than some other children. He does have very little language, um, for instance, and he has a lot of academic challenges. He doesn't yet seem to be able to read. Um, not sure, but <laughs> hasn't given us um, too much. Um, doesn't seem that he can yet, so again, not sure. Uh, but we have many other families with a child like him, often a boy, and they have made the decision to place that child in a residential school, often because they have other children. And so I, I do think that's an issue that I, I find it a difficult one to confront. Um, I'm glad that we only have Charlie in some ways because it has made, I think, some of those decisions a little bit easier um, or maybe more obvious to us. I mean, um, when I think about raising my son, it's something that I never imagined I would do. <laughs> You know, when I, a uh, long time ago when I was starting my academic career, when I was in graduate school, I thought that maybe I'd have a child, uh, one child perhaps, a girl, this is very idealistic, when I was about 40 years old. And I'm 41 now. Um, I have a child who's very different from any child I would have expected. His interests are not anything like anything I'm interested in. He doesn't like to read. He's um, not inclined to sit inside and, you know, look at a book. And, and he likes to be outside. He's very active. But I always have to say that I really love my life with him. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned as a parent is that even though things are very different from what I had thought they would turn out to be, they're actually really wonderful. And I really, you know, have to thank my son for showing me that things can be very different. That's a very, um, very insightful story, Christina. Estee, please tell us more about the story of the Autism Acceptance Project. You started it. Please tell us more why you started it, and tell us about more about the the role that art plays in the project. Sure. Um, well, as you as you already mentioned, I, I was a curator of art before I gave birth to 
Adam, who is also an only child. Um, he has four half-siblings who are uh, much, much older than he. So, um, And now I'm a single parent. I'm also an only child, so I can relate a lot to what Christina says about my um, ideas of having a child. And, and, and I always wanted my, an only child, and he and I are sharing that special bond. And I think that you know, having that only child and my very strong feelings of, of having him, and then once he became diagnosed with autism and the messages that I was getting, I was uh, quite stubborn, actually, in, in, in accepting some of those negative messages about the child who never changed. You know, he was, you know, one day he wasn't autistic, the next day he got a diagnosis. And um, looking at a future for him, I, I wasn't pleased with those um, messages that I was hearing with regards to his life and what kind of person he would be. I was looking at the, uh, every, every child, I mean, every parent goes to the Internet and gets a lot of, of these negative messages. And I saw no organizational messages of simple acceptance for, uh, for an autistic pe- person being accepted for who they are. There were organizations that were, you know, may have tied in a little bit of some positive thing, but mixed in with a cure or recovery and, and, and this urgent need for a cure and recovery, which, you know, created a lot of stress. So I, I was very early on um, interested in, in a different kind of messaging and investigating that. And with the art background and, and by looking at the work that autistic people were creating um, with their handicap um, was of great interest to me. And, and that interest keeps um, evolving about what role art plays in, in terms of any human message. I know no matter how big or small art matters, even art in my career has always been placed on the margins of things. It's something that's not being you know, that significant, maybe it's decorative, maybe it's therapeutic, you know, um, is not considered a significant form of being human, no matter what type, no, no matter how we participate in it. So it's all of those things, but art's also political, philosophical, and it's sublime and poetic, and I'm interested in, in taking a look at what is being produced on the Internet, in performance art, uh, painting, drawing, whatever, and, and introducing some of the issues, the practical issues, the policy issues, the the societal issues, um, with regard and 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 how autistic people can contribute to society and what art means. All these big big issues um, within the website. So that's what we're actually gearing towards right now. Great, Christina. You yourself, if I understood your answer correctly, have really come to a point of your own acceptance of the nature of Charlie's autism. Um, First of all, am I correct in that interpretation? (laughs) Okay, and secondly, from what people tell you, um, is that the way in which other families go eventually, move their attitudes, develop to the sense of their own acceptance? Well, I, I think that a lot of families don't. And I, I think that in the families that I know and that I, I feel most comfortable with now, I think, um, I think that they've all really sort of embraced the notion that this is the, the child that I have is the child that I have, the child in front of me. And efforts to change him dramatically, you know, through the, what Estee refers to, there's lots of treatments for what's called recovery from autism or healing from autism that you can read about on the Internet, um, 
I found that, and this is very much my own opinion and perspective, that coming to a, um, an attitude, a perspective of acceptance is extremely important. It's not easy because I, I think that, you know, I, I do wish sometimes that my son could do things differently, you know, that it would be wonderful if he could, you know, go, you know, run down the street and, you know, go bike riding with the other kids. You know, he's not able to do that. He only rides his bike with my husband. And, and you know, it would also be nice to think that when I'm gone, that Charlie will be able to take care of himself, and I don't, I don't think he will, you know, in every single way. And that's a really hard thing to think about. But I feel that acceptance is a really important um, perspective to embrace because autism is a lifelong condition. And I th- it seems to me, I mean, Estes talked a lot about stress, um, that, that when one is, feels that it's very important to recover a child or get rid, one hears that expression of the autism in them, that it, I find that it creates a much more stressful household. <laughs> I think it sends an implicit message to a child that there's something about the child that, you know, the parent doesn't like. That one's never going to be satisfied. And I, I've, I found for myself, you know, when my son was about five, I really started to, I think, embrace this idea of acceptance. My son um, did not go to kindergarten. He's never been in a regular classroom. He's always had to have special ed services. And it was very difficult for me to accept that. I wanted him to be able to at some point go to a regular, as I, I say, classroom, and he never has been. Um, however, once I think I really was able to let go of thinking he should be able to do this, he should be able to, you know, read this, this, these words by now, everything really changed. Um, I think he became a lot happier. <laughs> I think he felt a lot less stressed himself. Um, and I, I think our household became a lot happier. And I also just think that we were able to see the things that he does so well. Um, my son, as I said, he's a very physical kid. He loves to swim in the ocean. He loves to ride his bike very far. And um, he doesn't like to do a lot of things that I might like to do. And somehow seeing the things that he likes to do, it's changed me certainly to, again, um, you know, currently uh, my husband and him, they have this, they like to listen to this radio broadcaster named Phil Schapp, who uh, broadcasts out of New York. He's a, he does a jazz program every morning, and I personally have never been a big fan of jazz, I must confess, but my son absolutely loves this program and this radio announcer, and my husband really likes him, and I myself now tune in to hear Phil Schapp, even when I'm not with my son. So, I'm... Life I've, change, yeah. Um, now, we're going to run into the break uh, shortly, and Estee, this is a long question, but short answer, please. Um, you've commented about research, the search for the cure, um, search for prevention. How does that relate to the idea of acceptance? Um, Are you saying that searching for the cure is a forlorn, lost cause activity? And if you're not saying that, what are you saying? (laughs) I I can't do a short answer, but I'll try. I, I personally, and, and again, this is my, my personal opinion, is that we're, if we're talking about that we're wanting to cure or recover something, um, you know, it's, it's very much tied into the stress and the view uh, that autism is a problem. And if it's a problem, then, you know, backtrack, it's not really much about acceptance, is it? So I, I think that we can deal, what we're looking at is, is ways to accommodate 
And it's not to say that there there are not some real physical or, or some other medical symptoms that you know we might be able to to alleviate or help out, but to change the fundamental um, structure of being autistic or human, I, I, I tend to look at it all in the same vein, and it's not real acceptance in my view um, to try and ameliorate. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm quite frankly afraid of of who Adam would be if. Uh, we could. I can't even imagine what what a cure would entail to change the being that he is, as opposed to maybe helping some of his um, anxiety, or or helping him to communicate. He's also just partially verbal. It's emerging, and he uses an AAC device. So I, I'm looking for these things to to help him along. And when I think about curing him, I'm thinking also about the the stress that 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 puts on him to be something that he's not. Right. Now, I'm going to interrupt that, but I will give, I will, when we come back after the break, I'm going to ask you just to carry on with this because I think what you're saying, um, as you say, needs a little more time, but I also think it's profoundly important. Um, so it is time for us to take that short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are S.J. Clark and Dr. Christina Chu. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Um, please stay tuned because we will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, S.A. Clark and Dr. Christina Chu. Our topic is the Autism Acceptance Project. Now, I'm going to talk, ask about and talk about advice and success. 
And I'm going to ask Esther to continue what she was discussing um, before the break, which was the question of searching for cures, searching for amelioration, uh, rather than acceptance. And I'd like her to say more about that, perhaps leading to the point of what is there a balanced attitude uh, between hope and optimism and acceptance of a situation that um, can't realistically be changed? Mm -hmm. Esther? Well, I, I want to just say and reiterate that Christina said acceptance is not easy. I, I agree. It's, it's really difficult. We're, we're dealing with an environment that believes that problems have to be completely solved. We're dealing in an environment that, you know, you know this requires money. And anything that requires money, nobody really wants to pay attention to it. It must be a problem. We have to get rid of it. And, and, and I think that, you know, the hope is, is that we change the attitudes and, and the policies and the realization that autistic people can contribute to society if autistic people receive the accommodations they need in order to contribute to society. And, and, and that does require not just the attitudinal change, but, but the financial aspect and the policy aspect that follows it. And I think that there's a lot of hope. I think there, there are, in my community in Toronto, although my son needs an aid to go out into the community every day and go to school every day, and that requires money, um, you know, that I think that, that, that families should have access to, um, you know, there's still uh, more acceptance of schools to, to uh, welcome a certain amount of autistic people or, or people with cognitive disabilities. Um, there seems to be more acceptance of him out in the community as he is. Um, but so, so that's the hope. I think the hope is that we, we have affected change to a certain extent. We do have a long way to go, however, in terms of, of the support and accommodations people need. Christina, let's continue on this theme. What advice do you have for families with members with autism on this question of acceptance? How would you advise them? Well, I, you know, I was, I, I've come up with this phrase, which is acceptance is the beginning of hope, and that's been true for me. Um, I, I think it's an, it's sort of, a, it's a, sort of a simple line, but I, I think that it's important, as I said, to, um, to see the child in front of you, and with that, and that means not only seeing the, the amazing things that he can, he or she can do, but also the challenges. And, um, you know, often I felt that in parenting, um, my, one of my main tasks is to be as honest as possible. And that's not an easy thing to do. I've often wanted my son to be able to do things that he has not been, that he doesn't seem to be able to do or not as quickly, perhaps, as I would like. So that's one thing. I also would say to parents to be quite wary of the Internet. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, there's, there's so much information about autism out there. It's very difficult to, for anybody to process all of it. And I, I, when my son was diagnosed, this is not really the case. He was, um, this is back in only in 1999. And right now, there's quite a wealth of information out there about autism. A lot of it, I've noticed, seems to be about younger children. Um, when one reads about research articles, for instance, one hears a lot of research about, for instance, detecting autism in a younger and younger child um, and about early intervention. These things are definitely important, and we need them. My son was diagnosed when he was very young, and that's been important as far as getting him the supports and accommodations that he needs. But what I always feel is that we should really look more not only for positive representations of autism, but more about older individuals on the autism spectrum. 
And I've I felt that there's not quite as much information out there or not um, the sort that's very hopeful and therefore, to me, very helpful. And so what I've tried to do on my own blog and my own writing and uh, I think what the, the TAP project does is to provide something like that, that autism is a, it's a lifelong condition, but it certainly is not only about children <laughs> um, and that we really need to think about autism as part of the lifespan and think, I mean, Esther talked about supports and accommodations. Mm-hmm. What I would love to see is a bigger focus and from autism organizations, from the media, et cetera, on talking about life thing, issues like lifelong care. I mean, um, I was very excited to be asked to speak on the show because it is, um, as, as um, your show's title is about caregivers. And um, as much as I'm fa- interested and like to follow the latest scientific developments about autism, my heart is always really in thinking about, you know, where's my son going to live, you know, when he's 60 years old? What kind of medical care is he going to get? Who's going to be able to understand, you know, him trying to tell someone that he's a toothache or, you know, that he has other kinds of issues when I'm not around? And my hope is that I think by sending out these sort of more positive messages and talking about autism as a lifelong condition that has challenges and also many strengths, that, you know, perhaps we can all kind of bend the conversation in that direction. Right. Christina, um, same theme, really, but what advice do you have for family caregivers in regard to, first of all, the information that they hear on maybe shows like this or the Internet or that they get from the medical authorities? And what's your sense of uh, the advice that you would wish to give them in handling that information, in relating it to their own circumstances. Christina? I think that what you just said, I mean, one always has to bring it back to your own family. And, you know, I think that one has to really sort of, again, look at the child in front of you. I, I keep saying that phrase, I guess. Um, but and, and think, you know, is this, is this really going to be helpful? Does this really help him or her? function, you know, do a little bit better today, or, you know, um, I also think it's that it's really important to look at the per- really look at the source, it's something I tell my students, you know, who's the person writing this information, you know, if you go online, for instance, and look on Amazon.com, you know, some of the most popular autism books, sometimes, you know, they're often not by individuals on the autism spectrum, I would always encourage um, parents and anyone interested in autism to look for their voices first. And I'd be a little bit wary of, I think, a lot of the books that have been published by various medical professionals, some doctors, some not, um, you know, which, which talk about things like preventing autism, or focus on things like current recovery, and really, in some ways, don't talk about autism as, sort of, as again, this sort of lifelong experience. Um, you know, one of my, my favorite writers about autism, Claire Claiborne Park, um, is a woman who just passed away a few weeks ago. She was 86. And her daughter, Jessie Park, is a very accomplished painter. She's 51 and lives in uh, northern Massachusetts. And one thing that I I really like about both of her books is that they're fairly short. (laughs) They're contained. And one book is called The Siege. It's about her daughter's first eight years. Um, The second book is called Exiting Nirvana, and it's about um, Jessica Park's adulthood. And I really turn to that book again and again because it is really a story about a life with autism. And I, I think that people really need to acknowledge that, that autism, again, is a lifelong condition. And to be, to be wary about really sort of, I guess you could say, the, 
the the newsread, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the best thing about being able to read a book by someone like Clara Claymore Park, who had had so much experience, such a long, I think, um, experience with autism, and um, of course with her daughter, is that you get that sense of a whole life. And so many of the what one reads on the internet, it's just like a like a soundbite. And I think, you know, one has to be a little, one has to be wary. Yeah. Now, again, it's time is looming, and I've got another big question for you both, and it's the same question. I'm going to start with Estee. What are the things that make the sunshine for you um, in your relation with your son? And I'm going to ask Christina the same same question. What makes the sunshine? Estee first. Easy. His face. <laughs> His smile. Everything about him is, uh, he's always been a very affable young uh, boy. He has, uh, you know, probably moderate to severe autism as well. We, we just didn't know in the beginning, uh, you know, how to categorize him on the autism spectrum. I always have great difficulty in doing that, by the way. But, I, you know, when I write on my blog, um, I, I really do relish, I genuinely relish in, in every little thing that he does, every little milestone, every little achievement every little word that, is, that can be so few and far between that is loaded with meaning or, or every, it's just, uh, it, it's always, mir- not, I wouldn't say miraculous, but uh, it just is the essence of, of life, really, is to yeah. be able to, to share something with your child. And uh, I'm trying to reflect that it's, you know, I'm trying to live like I would with any other child, or at least I think. It's hard for me to say because I am an only child and a mother oh. of an only child. But just uh, I'm just going to relish in every, every moment. I'm just going to interrupt you because I'm going to give you a chance to come back to this in the next episode. But, Christina, what, just briefly, are the sun, things that make the sun shine for you? You know, I, I really have to put ditto marks to what Estee said. You know, again, it's just seeing my son. You know, I think in some ways it's the miracle of, of him. Um, as, um, you know, we had a very difficult recent experience where my son's school district and a, um, a autism consultant uh, suggested that we should think about a temporary residential placement for him. And, you know, that was a really, on the, my, well, my first response was, of course not. My second response was, my son is having a really difficult time. How, you know, I need to really look at what's going on and think about, you know, is he going to be okay living with us at home? Um, we seem to have turned things around, and it seems that he is okay to um, live with us in the community. That I really cherish just seeing that he's here with us. That's that's exactly it. Now I'm going to stop you there because it's the break, but we will come back um, to this this theme because it's an important one. So it is time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Estee Clark and Dr. Christina Chu. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice of America Variety Channel. And please stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Ever wondered what private investigators really do and how they go about solving cases? Each week, P.I.'s Declassified gives a glimpse into this little-known world. Join your host, Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator, in conversations with detectives and experts in the field. False confessions, forensic evidence, finding missing persons, exposing fraud, exonerating the innocent. All areas that Francie and her guests will cover. And have they got stories to tell? 
Tune in and call in to the live show Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, S.A. Clara and Dr. Christina Chu. Our topic is the Autism Acceptance Project. Before the break, I asked both S.A. and Christina about the things that make the sun shine from them, for them. Um, Go back to Estee. What more would you like to say in answer to that particular question? I, I think also that, that we are working towards a positive and accessible future. I think there are a lot of efforts happening, and they, I do believe that they're going to increase. I sit on a number of inclusion committees here in Toronto, and uh, we are trying to make schools, universities, uh, supports and accommodations more accessible. We are starting to see more autistic adults going to universities with their aids and with their devices. As I sit in my in my critical disability studies classes at York University here in Toronto, there are quote unquote severely um, disabled nonverbal individuals sitting in my classroom who are given the time and the right to participate with their devices. So I, I do believe that there is a future and I believe that that future will become brighter and more accommodating for individuals with autism. And therefore, the sun will shine. The sun will definitely shine. <laughs> Christina, same question. More, add more, please. No, and I, I wanted just to follow up again with Estee. I said that I, um, you know, in my own classroom in my college and elsewhere, I have had more students who um, are on the autism spectrum. They've either disclosed that to me or I've suspected that they might be or I've talked to their parents. And, you know, um, it's been a good thing, I think, that, you know, um, professors in, in universities and colleges, well, they find this another challenge, perhaps, it's a good challenge, <laughs> you know. And um, I also was just as far as, I, I think, what makes the sun shine. And, I, by the way, I love this question. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really beautiful question. You know, I, I, just, I look around me and, um, you know, everything about my son has affected my life as far as my job and um, the writing that I do and really how I organize my day. And I, ha- I have a lot of friends who don't have children or who have kids who don't have disabilities. And I do get the sense that they wouldn't say it to me that sometimes when I talk about things, they, there's a little sense of how in the world can you live like that? <laughs> you know, how can you, you know, your son is this old now and you still have to spend all this time with him? <laughs> and, or, you know, you can't, you, you know, you're not able to come and, you know, have a cup of coffee with me right now or, you know, these kinds of things. And it's funny, but I, I feel that it's, it's easy 
It's easy mm-hmm. to have things set up around Charlie. Sometimes I just feel very lucky. It makes things very simple mm-hmm. uh, for my husband and me. And I, I think we get so much joy out of spending time with him, you know, that we're, we're very content and we wouldn't want it any other way. Can I jump in any time? Please. Yes? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, no, no, I would have to agree. You know, I, I, it's just, I get the same kind of feedback or people looking at me saying, wow, your, must, your life must be very, very difficult. And I think sometimes when I find myself, you know, now especially as a single parent, not that it didn't exist in my head before, oh, this is going to be so hard, uh, you know, all these sort of doomsday dark thoughts come into our minds about, you know, what life is going to be like for our children. And, and I'm wondering if, if, if those, are, you know, those old institutional models that creep in there, but when I'm living with my son day to day and just, you know, going about my business, it, you know, I, I said, well, okay, why is this an issue? This is just this is just life as we know it, you know, and uh, he's just a I don't know he's just a happy kid, you know, who does things the way he does things, and uh, it's often been my attitude, uh, and 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 him having the ability to draw this patience out of me. He's given so much to me. I I can't really imagine life without him. I think he's he's the better teacher. <laughs> Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Family caregiving, as you both know, is more and more, more and more important, not just for families, but also for the healthcare systems of North America and beyond. So, you know, you've, you've been talking about what happens when your two sons um, are on their own in the future, uh, who's going to care for them, those kinds of questions, and they inevitably come back to discussions about the healthcare systems of uh, countries now and in the future. So there's a general question now of what more needs to be done by governments and healthcare systems to support the Autism Acceptance Project and other projects like it and how those things should be done. So I'm going to ask you, what are the things you would like to recommend and why, starting with this day? Hmm. I'm almost looking at the Autism Acceptance as a resource to support those organizations towards autism acceptance. I see the Autism Acceptance Project and like organizations because I'm hoping for so many more of them to be born uh, as a place for people to look to, to say, well, look, you know, there's, there are the contributions. Look, there is, there is the hope, if you will. There is the ability of parents to see this in a different light and autistic people to present an idea where we haven't really paid attention before. So I think that, you know, know, all roads lead to acceptance, this message, and this is what's going to support, in my view, uh, uh, the supports and accommodations and the lifelong caregiving needs, the the, the, the right residential places for our children who will grow up and, and hopefully have a different experience than what has historically been available to them. Fair enough. Christina? What are the things you would like to recommend and why? I mean, uh, you know, again, you know, another um, did remarks to what Estee said. I think um, one thing I'd also mention is, of course, employment and jobs. Um, you know, my son, um, currently he attends um, an autism center with about 200 other children, most of them on the spectrum, um, that draws from several towns in, where we live in New Jersey. He's been very happy there. And my, it's well-staffed. It's in a beautiful building. And, you know, he gets, you know, he goes on field trips. He's getting um, pre-vocational training. Um, he's got all kinds of therapists. They have wonderful facilities. And, 
you know, I, I think that a lot of parents though think, okay, this is great. What happens when my child is 21? And so my hope is that when, you know, we can start to do for adults on the spectrum and, you know, all their different needs, which vary so widely, when they become adults, we can still provide the same high level of care and support that we have with their children. You know, I have heard of stories of other families who have, whose children have aged out um, of school services here in New Jersey, and the parent says, you know, my child has been trained to, you know, to, to, for a job, but there isn't a job. And so he or she sits at home right now, and that's all there is. And that's a big fear for me. I, you know, I really want to think of ways to help governments, to help businesses, to support programs, you know, who, um, to, uh, to support businesses who would hire um, individuals on the autism spectrum and, um, you know, have jobs or maybe tax incentives is one program that I've heard, those kinds of things. Also, um, supports for job coaches. Um, I have a feeling my son will probably still need some assistance and support when he does um, hopefully have a job. And um, I, you know, um, I do think that um, children like Charlie and Adam have been helped, you know, by, you know, the greater knowledge and awareness of autism. Certainly that's why my son is at the school that he's at, why the school was built. The school's only about three years old. But those services do need to carry over into their adulthood. And so my big push to, um, I talk a lot about autism as a lifelong condition, not as an unhopeful thing at all, but because I think that if we don't do that, we won't create these supports and accommodations that can last someone for their whole life. My next question to you both uh, is a bit of a loaded one. And again, I'm afraid we're going to be cut short on long question. No, little, too little time. But the name of this show is Family Caregivers Unite with the exclamation point at the end, meaning that the voices, in my opinion anyway, of family caregivers in situations such as you've been, both been describing need to be heard, um, uh, listened to, respected, and responded to. Now, Estée, do you agree with me? I'm going to ask Christina the same question. And if you do, what are the things that you would like to see happen to help family caregivers in their uniting for these purposes? Estee? Mm, I think that uh, first I'd like to say that in order to unite, we have to also turn to the autistic community, meaning autistic individuals. You know, I've I found that that's been my huge source of strength in terms of envisioning a future and then be, being able to engage with this entire community. Also, just to look that we, we do share all of the same challenges. It's like saying you're human, but, you know, we're all very different, and, and we do all, all share some challenges, and, and how we view them is going to be different. How we approach them is going to be different, um, but we, we, we do have to pay respect to and, and listen to a, a huge contingent of autistic adults who are out there. So the united front, you're saying, has to include people with autism. Christina, Again, time short, your answer to that sense of family caregivers and families and uniting. What do you think? I, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with stay once again. I mean, there's no, you know, and I, I also think that we need to be able to, you know, make it possible, you know, for um, individuals with autism like my son, who has more limited communication abilities um, currently, to in some ways participate as much as they can and, you know, to be really open um, to things like different ways of, you know, different kinds of um, um, technologies and those sorts of accommodations that um, can really help. I mean, one thing that, I, that makes, I think, the 
the future very positive uh, for um, autistic individuals is well, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of, of some kinds of technology. On the other hand, I do feel that there are, for instance, um, augmentative communication devices and other such um, technologies that can really help a lot. Um, but I also think that um, as far as um, some kind of united front, I think that that's going to happen by really consistently putting out positive and hopeful stories and, you know, not getting, not letting ourselves get caught up in, you know, sort of the autism news of the moment. You know, for instance, you know, the latest news about vaccines or the latest mm-hmm. autism treatment. Um, I did a lot of that when my son was younger, and I ultimately have found it very distracting. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the, you know, I think that the autism community kind of needs to move a little bit away from focusing on, how should we say, the sort of medical view of autism, and right. um, also thinking about it in terms of neurodiversity and in terms of the fact that it's okay, you know, for individuals to to communicate or to otherwise be in ways that are different. Thank you, Christina. Sorry to interrupt. No. Um, important point. But it is the time to move to the close, and I want to say thank you to our listeners and to ask you please to email us with your comments and questions, which I'll be very happy to pass on to Estee and Christina. Now, I want to say thank you to Este and, um, and Christina for sharing their experience, insights, and advice, um, but also their stories, and also alerting us to the um, way in which the sun does shine in these circumstances. So I want to wish you both every success for everything you do in the future. Our next episode Um, We're going to talk about technology for helping family caregivers. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.